previously, previously on the Game On Podcast. It's, it's also fascinating as a minor point as well that Kensington, yet Kensington Gardens as a football club, yes. wound up, yet Kensington Cricket Club has, thrived. has been the power, you know, consistently now for what probably the last, you know, virtually like don't don't hold the finals unless Kenzie are in it sort of thing. Um, yeah. And, of course, you were playing in the grand final. The most incredible thing I think I've ever sat watching a game of cricket, the Kensington Uni grand final, where the uh, the whole game stopped while that person drove down the steps at uh, Karen Rolton. <laughs> Yes. Is the yeah, most was... bizarre thing I have ever wow. seen happen. And I, I've got to admit, I was sitting with the Grebers, with uh, Kirsten and uh, Greber, with uh, Liam's parents, and uh, we both looked where our cars were parked because we thought it was a car rolling down, right. down yes. the steps. And yep. then it's gone over the steps and it. The whole game stopped. All the players have turned and just watching, and the noise as it went down it was just. And then the person got out the car, parked, and came in and watched. <laughs> they're, they're not. They're not small steps either. Oh. Uh, they're, they're huge. Yeah, that was uh, that was quite incredible. We all stopped as, uh, on the ground and um, on, in the change rooms watching, and yeah, the sound it made. I can't believe the car was able to still continue after that. To be honest, oh, I actually thought you were oh. just about to say there was an Uber delivery. Oh. Someone had ordered food on the ground. <laughs> it was <laughs> unbelievable. The noise is just yeah, it was. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Funny. So we don't yes. talk about like it was a close finish. Uni just got up and all that, but anyone catch up now who was there? Geez, how about the car? car. It's not about the cricket. <laughs> Sportscast SA presents Game On. Game On. South Australia's destination for everything sports. Local, national, and international sports. AFL football, soccer, basketball, golf, baseball, tennis, cricket, and any other sports played in this wide world. And we're going to have a blast doing it. So sit back, relax, and let's do this thing. Welcome to Game On. Welcome to Game On. Once again, joined by Pete and Malcolm. Last week, Jake Brown with that little story out at Carrollton Oval of somebody basically doing a little bit of a self-parking on the oval next to the oval there. That's unbelievable. Yeah, as I said, it is still the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen in, in terms of it, and the noise I'll never forget. Well, yeah, mightn't have been a good luck charm though for Brownie. He, he jagged a calf batting on Saturday, so all the best there. Hopefully that he's back for the finals. So mm-hmm. yeah, so he was a little bit down in the dumps on Saturday. Yeah, I can imagine. And best of luck, obviously with a little bit of recovery, uh, he'll be back out on the ground sooner rather than later. Hopefully, around the grounds. And today, mate, we're going to have a, a little bit of a look at the NFL, some cricket, some soccer, but we're going to lead off with the baseball, mate, the Adelaide Giants. Go, you Giants. So they're through to the grand final. So one won the first game last week, and then the second game got washed out, uh, and that be- and it became the two games yeah, on the Sunday, header, yeah. and lost that, and then came through in the third one. So the grand final series, it's a three-game series, the first one being in Perth, and then the game two in Adelaide and game three in Adelaide, if, if 
needed. So, yeah. Perth don't have any worries about playing here in Adelaide, but, you know, with a sold-out crowd, which is uh, something that uh, has come across the airways today, that basically every ticket that they could possibly sell has been sold. So expecting a big crowd down at West Beach there. Yeah, I think it's... Is it about 1,500 to 2,000? About 2,000, and, and I think there was some general admission tickets still available, but only unlimited supply. Yeah. So first time to win it in 42 years. It, yeah, it, 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 there's a lot of players that are saying that they've played in a lot of leagues all over the world, and this is probably the one that they really, really want. Yeah, it's also a bit funny because the, the Claxton Shield used to be for the Interstate Series, yeah, and now it's become the club-based from there. So it's a little bit strange how, how it's evolved in that way. Yep. It's, um, yeah, I think... Awards up for the MVP mm-hmm. awards, so uh, hopefully, hopefully Adelaide do, you know, hopefully you get the well, medal individually, and absolutely. more importantly, the the uh, the shield. Absolutely, it's a it's a game that uh, you know you'd love to get off to a good start away from home uh, mm. over in Perth. Uh, Perth have been Adelaide's bogey team in the past, but I just see this being a totally different game altogether. Oh look, grand final, who knows? But uh, yeah. Very much so. They have been a bogey side for Adelaide over the years. Hopefully this week, Ken, we reverse that. Absolutely. They can join the uh, the Lady Strikers in bringing home, bringing home the bacon to yeah. SA this year. Bit of silverware would be fantastic. Exactly. All right. Now, the Australian Open, mate. Yeah, well, obviously concluded on uh, Sunday night there with um, Djokovic and Tsitsipas playing in a final and... Wow, Novak Djokovic just went to a whole new level. I think I saw a statistic that uh, he'd uh, won 52 games. In, in his last three games, he'd won 52 games and only conceded something like 18 or 19 games. Yeah, whatever we think of him individually, that's a different topic. Tennis-wise, he's a freak. You know, certainly, you know, we can discuss the greatest ever. He's probably going to finish in front of everyone else. Yep, as far as numbers go, yeah. And we're... We might cover that one a little bit later. I've got a, a little bit, you know, extra try and big finish. Well, you might. Ask, ask a bit of a question about that one there. But um, 10 in a row for Novak. Uh, you know, Nadal's won 14 in a row at the French Open. Um, you know, these guys have dominated. and uh, I think um, uh, uh, Federer had gone on a bit of a run at Wimbledon. So these guys have yeah. dominated, obviously, men's tennis for so long. It's, it's a bit weird not seeing them all there. Oh, look, and, you know, Nadal's probably... The injuries are catching up. Djokovic yep. could have three years where... Yeah, no one can stop back, him. Back again. What happens with America and with the US Open is probably up in the air a bit. Yep. Um, so we'll see how we go there. Yeah. But, yeah, certainly impressive winning 10 in a row there. Uh, we'll just uh, have a quick uh, talk about the men's doubles. Well, that was the highlight of the tournament It for was, me. yes, yeah. yes. Um, a wild card? Yep. Incredible. Just Second year in a row, a yeah. wild card won it. Probably the year before, though, let, let's... Be honest, Kurios doesn't didn't play much double, so you could sort of understand where he'd come from. But yep. Kubler and Hitchcock were the real wild card, absolutely. And to come through and win it, and they said they were hoping to win. Well, a game. Hoping, yeah, they were hoping to <laughs> well, get to this next round. Well, they know? were hoping initially to get a wild card. Then it yeah. was, uh, well, let's hopefully we win one game and. We win one, and then the next one they win just, again, and it just snowballed. And yeah. geez, they played pretty well in that final and took it in straight sets as yeah, well. They were very good. They were pretty, uh, you know, pretty systematic and um, clinical. Is the yes. word I was after. Yep. In the final, yeah. And look, the women's final. Yeah. They're saying, you know, the tennis purists are saying it's one of the great games ever. Yep. Sabalinka and a robber, robber, Kina, Kina, well yes. played. Um, saying one of the greatest. Of all time. So, look, 
it was weird though that the attendances were well up. Yes. Yet the viewing numbers were, were, well, were down. well down. So yeah, strange. Obviously, not having Kyrgios uh, playing, obviously a draw card here in Australia. But you know, you're right that the the numbers being down was a bit of a surprise to me. But uh, you know, they're still getting good numbers through the gate. But it is a festival of tennis. I mean, you know, for two weeks, Melbourne really does turn it on. Oh, let's also be honest. Djokovic is pretty. You know, he's piling one way. Very polarising. Polarising. Yep. Yes. Yep. One that way, the other. Look, yeah, I'm on the other. Yep. Yeah, I. I personally don't think he should have been back. Yep. In terms, not whether he got vaccinated or not, even though I'm obviously pro vaccine, but that's a different topic. But the visa, like you know, anyone else, you're off for three years. So I, I was out of that. But let's not deny purely tennis. Yes. As a sports show, let's not go the next go there. Yep. As a um, tennis wise, we can't. Do so it. obviously, the Australian Open. You know, we lost a lot of those top players early on, either before the tournament or. or basically on the eve of the tournament. Um, you know, a little bit of concern for Tennis Australia, but it turns out that it was actually a pretty good tournament in the end. In the end, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, the women's final, for me, uh, you know, uh, Sabalinka was unbelievable. Coming from a set down, down yeah. um, and really digging deep, uh, imp- impressive stuff, and uh, I'm sure we're going to hear her name uh, mentioned more and more as well. With the men's and the women's game, it's a bit of a changing of the guard, you know, Federer, Nadal sort of on his way out a little bit. No Serena Williams or no Williams sisters. Sisters, yeah. Um, you really did sort of see a, a bit of a change in the guard. Obviously, Barty uh, retired last year. So yeah, a lot of those top names that have been around for the last three or four years sort of had disappeared and there's a new batch coming through. And I, I think the public are a little bit, uh, where are we at with it? Uh, yeah. Who do we support? Who's going to be the next big rivalry? I mean, you look at all the rivalries that have been um, uh, coming through in the last few years. Um, you know, where is that next rivalry going to come from? And uh, I think the public are, are, are itching to, to see who's going to be the next challengers. Yeah, it's so, yeah, you're right. It's probably that in-between. We yeah. probably haven't developed the relationship and, the you know, the person hasn't got that next, you know, whether Federer, Nadal, yep. Sampras, Agassi, Sam, yeah, you know, you know mark, yep. so Graf. Yeah, Graf, uh, uh, Salas, uh, you know, Serena. so... Serena, exactly. So... Um, yeah, it is a bit of a changing of the garden. It'll be interesting to see how it develops over the next 12 months. Yeah, see how it goes. All right, mate, we move on to cricket. BBL 12 finals. Yeah, Perth, they're hosting the final. Yes, they certainly look the team to beat. Uh, Sydney Sixers tonight have won the toss and are batting yep. against Brisbane. Um, look, for me, poor programming, too many games. Look, if we're going to have the Test players play, yes, have them play and finish the series. Yep. How in the hell can we have Steve Smith play four games, get picked in the team of the year, <laughs> yes. and then leaves now to no longer be around. I just think uh, it is. It's a bit like home and away, never finishes, Blue Hills. Yep. It, it's still going. I which, And again, school's now back. Yes. It should finish. And so I understand next year I think it's about 12 games less. So that's at least it's going the right direction because I think with all of us, we start off with this big enthusiasm and you Absolutely. lose it before yep. the end. Even yep. when the strikers won, that when we won here, Oh, yeah, okay. See you, Pete. See you in the week. It was, yep. didn't have that when, as a South Australian cricket nut, if we win the Shield or the thing, I'm out celebrating for a fortnight. Admittedly, it only happens once every 20 years. But <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We'll look forward to seeing that. But, yeah, I had that down in my notes that, you know, Steve Smith, you know, amazing four games that he plays, um, accumulates a whole heap of runs, still makes the uh, team of the team of the year, the BBL tw- team of the year. Um, 
and look to, to take it to a new and new level. And then you you know Kawaja and uh, Labashane started to find their stride, and then all of a sudden they're gone. Yeah, it's, I, it didn't make sense to me. Uh, and you know it sort of has gone away from where we first started with the BPL, where it was the highlight for. Uh, uh, what is it, uh, eight weeks, nine weeks or whatever it was, now it seems to have just dragged on a little bit longer. I, I totally, totally agree with you. Oh, look, I'm very, very firm that the players should have been over in India yep. by now. Yeah, by yep. now. We'll, we'll cover, we'll cover that, that a bit later yeah, as well. Especially after the controversy. Absolutely. Adelaide Strikers had two players named in Team of the Year. Yeah, so Short won the, and he short won the yep. player, the, the, the overall player award. He had a you know very good series. Certainly, if he failed in one with a bat, he contributed the balls. He had a very good series overall. Chris Lynn making the team as well. Probably pretty unlucky not to be in the 11. Yep. I th- I thought David from Tasmania was the the surprise from the Hobart Hurricanes. Yep. was probably the, the surprise selection. selection. Yep. I thought he was pretty lucky. So, yeah. And, and then Steve yeah. Smith only playing four games, four games yeah. being selected as well. I mean, yeah, he did some amazing things in those four games and a couple of hundreds. And, uh, two hundreds, yeah. yeah. And no one else did that, it, so yeah. It's pretty impressive uh, for him to basically walk off the test field and straight onto the BBL yeah. field. And so you can see where it came from. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, mate, we'll take a little bit of a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a bit of the uh, gridiron, the NFL, a little bit more cricket, more test cricket, some soccer, and we've got Wayne Jackson coming up as one of our special... Past players, past legends series as well. Yeah, pretty pretty wrapped to have an ex AFL CEO on the show. Absolutely. You're listening to the Game On podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Pete, let's go for it. Your area of expertise, the NFL. Yeah, uh, we. Had a little bit of a talk about it last week in a little bit more depth, and obviously we're getting closer and closer to the Super Bowl, so we'll talk about it a little bit more. Mate, we're two from two, well, I'm two from two from my selections last week. The Philadelphia Eagles beat the San Francisco uh, 49ers. Bit of a one-sided contest, but in saying that, it, you know, the San Francisco 49ers were down to their fourth-string quarterback. Uh <laughs> You know, yeah. that you talk about them being the, the, the marshal of the troops, the, the, the most important player, and right. all of a sudden you're down to your fourth-ranked uh, guy. Uh, it makes it hard to uh, to get any momentum happening there. Pretty hard to do your planning and your set plays with, with that sort of thing. He probably wouldn't have trained with that group that much. That's and, correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, you're trying to limit the damage as much as possible, and the Eagles just ended up taking full yeah. advantage. Tight, a bit, a bit of a tighter contest in the Chiefs and the Bengals. A uh, bit of a last-minute roughing uh, conduct uh, penalty, which basically changed the result of the game. It could have gone to overtime, but Time, yeah. But they uh, ended up getting a field goal out of it and winning 23-20 from memory. Mm. Uh, interesting that uh, Mahomes did end up playing, which we did talk about yes, and speculate just did. briefly. We did back that. Um, wasn't at his best, but... Gee, 60 to 70% of his best was definitely good enough on the day, and now he's got two weeks to get ready for the Super Bowl. So anything could happen. Oh, I think he'd be spending a fair bit of time in a high uh chamber in the next two weeks. I would think so as well. Uh, biggest show on earth, mate, the Super Bowl between the Eagles and the Chiefs is at uh, State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. They do move it around from yep. year to year, so everyone gets a bit of an opportunity. I think next year it's in Hello, Las Vegas. AFL. Yep. <laughs> Hello, AFL. Um and Brady retires. That only came through on the wires this morning. Retires for the second time. Yeah, hopefully that is it this time. You know, yeah. I, I don't think it probably helped him 
this year. No, I mean he walks into a media contract worth uh, ten million over oh, ten years, I, or five five hundred million over t- ten years, whatever the number is. I it's don't astronomical. think he's going to struggle, Pete. No, I don't think he will either. But you know, one of the greatest of all times, and um, hopefully this time you're right. Uh, we wish him the best in retirement, and uh, hopefully don't don't see him back and commentating and giving us some yeah. insight. All right, mate, cricket, we go on to test cricket this time. Australia's decision to not play a warm-up game in India. Strange. Absolutely absurd. And it comes back, again, all countries. And so I'm not defending Australia here. Like the, It got said, no, we're not going to play that. Last time in India, that was a green top, and then the first test was a Bunsen burner. All countries improve. I'm sorry, the traditional tour of Australia was the warm-up game at Lilac Hill, social game, then WA, then South Australia, quite often New South Wales, then Queensland. It was at least three games, and teams played their full-strength side. Not nowadays like you and I have a game. Like it's almost like a raffle done from the crowd. Yep. I bat myself in the raffle um, sort of thing. And it's just, it's farcical. All countries are at fault. We should have been in India at least a week ago. Yep. Now, we've also had the absolute fiasco of which... Uh, is actually on a plane going to India. Right now, as we speak, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. It's not like he's a young kid. He's 35 as a player. Um, is it gamesmanship? Not uh, being, look, yeah, because of Pakistan. Yeah. He was born in Pakistan, you so there's some sort of problem there. Yeah, He's travelled to India before. I, I just don't understand the, the reasoning behind it, but obviously there is some sort of uh, issue that was sorted out this morning. Australia's uh, decision from their coaching staff was more about letting the players freshen up before they go to India. I don't quite buy that considering, you know, they had pretty easy series against West Indies and a reasonably easy series against South Africa in the end, really. And there's David Warner saying that he needs time to freshen up. Well, why in the hell did you take the contract to play for the Thunder in in that of which it worked out at the princely sum of $5,297 per run he ended up getting out of that? You know, so don't that sort of thing. And I'm sorry, yeah, they travel a lot and all that, but, geez, they've been a, they've been a few more days off than the average than anyone else working. Well, they're finishing most tests within three oh. days and then hitting the golf course. I mean, jeez, yeah. if I could do uh, my week's worth of work in three days and then hit the golf course or the bowling green for, for two days a week, I'd be uh, cock-a-hoop. Yeah, I, I'm getting a bit fed up with that. Yeah. Um, you know, who and what players are at the crossroads after India and, and the England series coming up? Well, I think both, you know, Warner and Kawaja are both 35, um, Warner's the one. Yep. You know, there's a big question mark on Warner. And like, he sort of flagged it a little bit as well. Well, he's only had the one one innings of which, man of the series, my goodness. Um, so he, he's he's under the pump there. Um, he's probably the main one. Look, I think there is a question on Travis Head yep. to play spinners. Green, can he bowl? Um, are we going to play him as if he can't bowl? There's a question mark there. Um Good test for Keys to shove it, uh, for Alex Kerry to shove it up a few of the knockers. Yep, uh, I think it, which is quite fast. I actually think it's actually been ironic watching the Big Bash with all the keepers playing. I think it's shown that Alex Kerry is well and truly our best keeper. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I always find that a bit bizarre. Uh, I think it's just South Australian bashing. Mm-hmm. Look, the cricket awards. Um, look, I'm glad that I thought Steve Smith was the worthy winner. Yep. 
Uh, you know, glad that you know through the year, Belinda Clark getting recognised. I think it's fantastic. Yep. Uh, along those, Warner one day player of the year could have been Warner, could have been Head. I think probably because we've got a bit of a sour taste in our mouth about Warner getting named man of the series. series yep. You know, a bit hard to palate at the moment. Yeah. But yeah. look, it's about probably about those next crop of players coming through that. Uh, that that makes me sort of wonder, you know, where are a lot, a lot of these players at, especially with the, the more established players starting to, to age a little bit and, and think about along the lines of stepping back from international uh, cricket. Yeah, but that's – problem is at the moment is everyone's forgotten about shield cricket because it just stops for yep. so long. And so, you know, there has been a couple through in, like Spencer Johnson's been the fine for, for the Big Bash – it grates me as a South Australian that yep. he is a West Torrens kid. He should have been in, in, in the, the strikers' in the side. Blue, yep. And he should have been playing Shield cricket earlier this year. I yep. couldn't believe it when he got made 12th man, first Shield game of the year. And we went with four right-handers, um, right-handed bowlers sort of thing. So there's also rumours around that Brisbane have offered him a uh, – the Brisbane may have offered him a three-year contract. There's a rumour around as well yep. at the moment. Let's well, wait and see on that one. Why wouldn't you? I'd like to have as much chance of winning cross lotto from a male of that being correct. Okay. Um, so let's wait and see on that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, cricket awards, uh, as I said, was fantastic, and you've, you've you've taken the words right out of my mouth on that one. Cover most of that. Excellent. Yep. Look, the the soccer Adelaide United three all draw. Unfortunately, they're getting a, giving away a penalty in the last minute. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Adelaide United uh, fought pretty pretty well uh, in that to game, and obviously uh, we we have to talk about the serious leg injury uh, yeah. to the Adelaide United player that you know stopped the game for thirty minutes. You know that does sort of change the way of a lot of players thinking, and and to how serious it was as well. Yeah, one day it was a terrible injury. Look, there's been criticism of that no ambulance at the ground. My understanding is it's Vic Health rules that every ambulance must be effectively employed and it can't just be subleased, say, a club hiring that to sit there and do nothing, that yep. it must be out and about. Yep. So whether we agree with that or not, as a government as a government decision, it goes to the next level and it probably pretty hard to comment without you having the numbers in front of you and all that sort yep. of thing. So, yeah. For me, it's a, oh, a catch-22 because... You have a look at the young man in America there with when he, yes. you know, the heart stops and, and basically they've got medical on site, ambulance on site, ready to go. It's that what if, uh, if yeah, butts and candy nuts. Pretty important one there though. Adelaide United have um, been very, very complimentary on the medical care he received before yes. the ambulance got there. Yes. They've very much have stressed that. Yep. Um uh, in the last few, in the few days and the yep. interviews done since. So that's probably a pretty important so, so my question a little bit on that is, you know, with the AFL we have the uh, uh, converted golf carts that have been turned into medicarts. Uh, why aren't we seeing that at the soccer level? I mean, in a way you probably could have had him off the ground and assessed uh, underground uh, with an ambulance waiting or, or, mm. or coming as well. Uh, it just wasn't a great look on, on the ground and... and Look, the poor guy. I mean, you know, legs basically uh, at right angles that it shouldn't yeah. be at, and, yeah. and and you know, it's quite, oh, it was quite, horrific. quite it was sickening, horrific. really. At the end of the day, and you know, they made the point of the players, the Spanish contingency, really struggled to finish the game out. You know, 
sort of thing. So it was probably a pretty good effort that we held on to get the three-all draw, really. Absolutely. And, and like you said, giving a penalty away in the last uh, couple of minutes wasn't exactly ideal. Um, staying with soccer a little bit, Graham Arnold signs for another four years for the Socceroos. Oh, look, he got a lot of criticism at, you know, before the World Cup and not the man. And yet we came through and we were within a, you know, a bee's dick thing of equalising against Argentina in that World Cup in the last couple of minutes. Yeah. You know, and got through to the last 16. Well, they so, weren't expected. No, That was not the thing, and, and, and it was a bit of a transition year, a little bit of, of players that they've got coming through, a couple of players that are just getting beyond it a little bit, and they weren't expected to do anything. And you're right, a, a bee's oh, whisker away from uh, qualifying. There's no superstar player. There's not like there's a Kale in the, or a Craig Johnson yes. or a Harry Kuehl or even a Vidmar, and, you know, that sort of thing. There's probably... It's more a workman-like side. Yep. Um, interestingly enough, Suter got the deal and it's gone to Leicester. Yes. Deal. 23 or 26 yeah. million. I think I've got that written down here somewhere. But, so. you know, the biggest in, a, in Australian transfer history. Yeah, Certainly a player that's well worth the money, but, you know, the money that gets bandied around in some of those uh, EPL clubs is just absolutely astonishing. It is. And it's quite incredible, too, that there he was. Luckily, Australia made it. He hadn't played for a long time. Yeah. We come through, and he's he sort of got forced to pick him. If we had it been a bit stronger, he probably wouldn't have because of the amount he'd missed. And then goes through to having a great World Cup, and has come through now with with the bacon there. So it's a fine line between pleasure and pain. Absolutely. John Griffin, and he uh, he took his opportunities when they come along, and I think that's a great lesson for all all players yeah. of all sports is that you get that opportunity. Uh, I think you got to grab it with both hands, and look how it turned out. Oh. Incredible. All right, mate, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, uh, Wayne Jackson, uh, ex-AFL CEO, and uh, we're really looking forward to having a bit of a chat with him. Good man, Jacko. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Has there ever been anything that has lightened up your day? Whether it was someone who complimented you or maybe you got a promotion at work, these all make you feel happiness. But if you're looking for more, more to lighten up your day, then you should book our mobile coffee service. We are always dedicated to one thing, service. We appeal to all sorts of people, from commuters on their way to work or our regular workplace coffee stops. And best of all, we visit you. Whether it's our top quality and aromatic coffee or our mouth-watering selection of cakes and food, there will always be something for you to enjoy. Servicing Adelaide's metro area. Why not book in a stop today? Find us on Facebook and send us a message. Tour Coffee and Catering. We deliver your daily caffeine fix. Past players. Past legends. Past legends. Welcome to our past players, past legends, and in this case, uh, past CEO of the AFL, Mr. Wayne Jackson. Thank you very much for joining us, Wayne. It's a pleasure, Peter. Malcolm, no How worries. You? How are you, Wayne? Good, Malcolm. Thank you. So, Wayne, let's you know we'll go back to the beginning. Beginning, obviously, you know, starting starting off, uh, you know, son of Morris and Alice, uh, siblings Grant and John. Um, Starting off, also, I reckon one of the first most interesting points to you is, is, and you always make a mention, this helped you in life. 
about uh, your father running a bakery and working in it, Wayne? Yeah. Yeah, Dad and his brothers owned a bakery in Cogham Street, Brompton, and um, um, uh, I think they had about 25 rounds, you know, horses and vehicles and um, probably 30 or 40 employees in the bakery and whatever. And um, when I went to um, that school and most of my mates went off mucking around for a year or two. I, Dad said, you're coming straight to the bakery. And so I was working night shift there with some terrific fellows, but it was all night shift work. And night shift guys are a little bit unusual and or a little bit different, I think. And um, I just um, learned a lot from their, from them, the, their lives, um, um, their earthiness. Um, and I did that for... A number of years be uh, each school holidays or um, subsequently university holidays. So I spent quite a number of years, probably three or four years, uh, doing night shifts in a bakery for about three months each year. What uh, what school did you uh, attend as a young fellow before you started to uh, head to work in the bakery, mate? Yeah, I went to Allenby Gardens Primary School um, and then I was lucky enough to go to PAC and um, that's where the schooling took place. When uh, when you obviously at Allenby Gardens, a pretty strong footy program there? Yeah, there was. Actually, um, um, it was a very strong footy school. A guy, The headmaster was a guy called Mr Dempster, and he was very keen on footy. And a guy called Freddie Bills, who I know would be Great well class. known to you guys, was, yeah, he was a year or two older than me, and he lived in Flinders Park, which is where we lived. And um, um, my parents were both great admirers of Fred, as I subsequently was. And he sort of took me under his wing a little bit. And um, uh, I was lucky enough when I was at primary school to um, play in the state um, Sapsars, what was called Sapsars, the team then, with a couple of guys that went on to play league footy too, Trevor Jakes and people like that. And um, um, so that was... Trevor Jakes, of course, the Nord fitness guru. And, uh, yes. Oh, of, well, all the from stars came from Nord. Yes. All yes. the stars are from Nord now, can were they? Ray Wolford had noticed as well there with Jacko. Ray Wolford was in the team, and uh, Chris Hunter, I think, played for Glenelg. Um, so there were probably half a dozen guys there that, um, at primary school under 12s, that uh, subsequently went on to play league footy in South Australia. Pretty pretty handy, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. If they did a state uh, schools. Uh, you guys would have been well and truly up there, I imagine. Yes, yeah. But essentially, when I was, you know, in my secondary school, we um, we had a guy called Chester Bennett yeah. was our coach there, which, which is well known to yeah, to well known to you guys for cricket and football. And mm-hmm. you know, we had guys like Peter Morton, Peter Darley was a superstar, um, Mark Skinner. Um, uh, one of the Hannafords, so we had a pretty strong schoolboys team there too, which was great. And that that was at uh, PAC, yeah. Yeah, it was. And and if I could go on with that just a minute, Peter, um, I then went on to play at university where Alan Greer was the coach. And um, the first two years there, we won two premierships, and we had guys like Dudley Hill um, from North Adelaide, Doc Clarkson, who's a State player from Sturt, Alan Byers from, from North Adelaide, Jan Hooper was the rover from 
West Adelaide. Um, gambling was a halfback flanker from North Adelaide. Um, twinkle Toes. Probably, yeah, Twinkle Toes gambling, yep. Um, so we had, you know, probably eight or nine guys in that university team which um, Alan Greer coached and... Um, um, and that went on to play league footy, which was great. Of course, John Sankster and Keg Ferguson. So Bubba listens to our podcast oh, from yeah. London. So Bubba yeah. would have had a crack at me if I'd uh, hadn't missed if I'd missed Keg out. Look, also yeah, let's go back well, quickly back to Prince's and and Chester Bennett. You know, he had an incredible influence on just so many people, and I reckon no surprise that Ian Chapel, as usual, puts things pretty correctly and succinctly that. His line was, Chester was a wise man in sport and a wiser man in life. And I reckon that probably just nails... He was an amazing man, Chester Bennett. Yes, he was. Well, as a student, of course, we didn't know too much about life in those days. Um, but he he was a wonderful um, mentor as a coach and you can't say a friend, I guess, as a, as a teacher and a student. But you just felt that... Um, yeah, you know, he was a little bit different um, in terms of what he contributed to the development and well-being of individuals. Both cricket, I didn't get involved with cricket, obviously Ian and many others did, but with football, he he was just someone you really, really respected and learned a lot from. And and there must have been scores, if not hundreds, of yeah. students over the years would have that would have not dissimilar views. Because at uh, your career at Adelaide Uni, that you won an award, and I've got to, I've, it would be sacrilegious if I didn't mention this, Wayne, because it's something that I've got in common with an AFL CEO, the club le- <laughs> club letters, uh, Jacko. Yes, yeah. Uh, well, they were sorry. Club letters too for people out there. It's an award at uni. It's for on and off field. It's probably more off field than on field in terms of that, and probably the amusing part about it. You get presented as a, you know, a frame certificate. Uh, my wife Emma was always really dark because the club letters looked a hell of a lot better than her degree. So there was always a bit of amusement <laughs> about that. That how, how flashy it was. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of us that knew one Malcolm that um, you know we tried pretty hard when we went across the white line, but uh, we also tried to contribute to the. The club as well, and and you know, uh, I, I think there's a lot of kids or young people that do that today, but probably not enough. Um, yes, because they're so preoccupied with other things, Malcolm. But I'm down at a place called um, Willaluka at the present time, which is in the upper southeast, and um, and just the community spirit down here with hockey clubs, cricket clubs, uh, etc. is just fantastic, and it's all about what the volunteers do and the, yeah. um, and a lot of them are older but there are some younger guys coming through that are starting to understand that communities, football clubs, um, they need um, help and um, so many are starting to do that, I think. Of course, it'd be, uh, I'd get into a bit of trouble with a few uni people mentioning you also got a full blue. Now, that is the distinguished part of, of on-field. It's standing performance as a player in particular sport, mm. while studying at uni. Now, they're, they're not giving out lightly full blues, and you, you're no, a proud recipient not, of that. No, they're not. And the other thing I was really proud of there, uh, Malcolm, there's uh, the amateur, uh, I think it was called the Amateur Sports Club at that stage. Yes. They used to give a, uh, a medal for 
someone that's you know done a bit on field and done a bit off field. Not one year I was lucky enough to win that too. So it's all about you know as you well know it's about giving a little bit back and trying like hell when you're on the footy field. Yeah, well- Wayne, Wayne, one other point now, I think as we move on to the West Torrens side of things, it's quite amusing, you better give us the fill-in that you could well have been a blood, not an eagle. Yeah. When when we were 18, we moved, my family, uh, mum and dad and our kids moved from um, Grange Road, Flinders Park to Strathmore Avenue, Lockleys, and we ended up living next to Ozzie O'Grady, who was... um, you know, well known as a long-term president of the West Orange Football Club. And when he understood that what I was doing at um, um, playing at uni and living in the West Adelaide district, which Lockleys was at that stage, he arranged for me to play one game in the under-19s for West Torrance, um before the term expired um, uh, for my qualification. So I played one game for... West Torrance, I didn't have to play for West Adelaide. And uh, when I finished at uni three years later, well, I was tied to West Torrance, which I was just so thrilled about. Because we're lifelong supporters of the West Torrance Football Club, Peter. So, obviously, um, talking about uh, your time at uni, what what, what subjects did you uh, study while you were there? Um, I did economics. Um, so that was supposed to be a three-year program I took, I did, uh, I think I got eight, 11, eight subjects out of 11 after the three years, and then I did the last couple of subjects part-time, uh, and after I graduated with um, economics, I did um, uh, a degree in accounting as well, so at those stages, it was um, pretty strong you know, commercial background, or commercial training, I should say. Mm-hmm. And this was all while you were uh, playing at West Torrance? Yeah, yeah, playing at West Torrens and uh, and then getting married and having three kids and doing all that sort of stuff. So my wife, Liz, um, you know, made a magnificent contribution. And so, gives you know, your time at West Torrens, it's, you know, you played 140, just over 140 games, which ironically are virtually split, 70-odd leagues, yeah. 70-odd reserves. Yeah. Now, it's quite ridiculous of everything you did at West Torrens, Wayne. In fact, I think it's actually a bit pathetic you didn't run the canteen as well as well while you were there because you did everything else. Well, so, still time, mate. Yeah, yeah. President, you know, um, on the committee, uh, ended up... Runner. Yeah, runner, co- yeah. coaching the reserves, and then, of course, ended up coaching the league side. Give us give us yeah. a bit of a rundown of all your time at West Torrens, Wayne. Well, that that's right. Um, um I played about 53 or 4 games straight, so I guess I started to think, you know, I probably thought I was a bit better than I was, actually. But in the end, played about 70 league games and 70 reserve games. And when I went to Melbourne, they used to say to me, oh, how many games did you play at West Times? And I said, I played 140, 70 in the seconds and 70 in the league. But they never wrote about the, the reserves. They just said I played 140 games at West Times, which blew my bags up more than they should have been blown up. So, um, um, at, in the end of the career in those days, um, a couple of the more experienced guys would um, not retire straight away, but go back and play in the reserves for a year or two to help the young kids, which I did. And, um, um, and I ended up um, coaching the reserves. And then Billy Barrett was appointed 
coach of um, the league side, and that didn't really work out. We all learnt a lot from Bill, <laughs> but it didn't. We didn't um, work out uh, as well as it should have. And um, um, so I coached for uh, two thirds of a season, and we did pretty well. We made the finals. Um, and the interesting part is, that I think I've told Malcolm this before. Um, when I finished coaching that, that year, they, uh, the committee said, oh, well, please, you'll coach next year, obviously. I said, no, I'm not going to coach next year. Um, I've got a wife, I've got kids, I've got um, Thomas Hardy and sons to think about. And um, they said, well, what about coaching the reserves again? And I said, no, I don't want to do that either because that's not fair on the incoming league coach because if he loses three or four in a row, the spec, the, um, the, the, what the members will start to say, you know, bring back last year's coach, which was me. Um, and so I, I said, no, I'm not going to do that either. Thank you. And they said, well, what about coming on the committee? I said, oh, well, yeah, I'm come, I'll come on the committee. That's okay. Um, so I joined the committee and went to my first meeting and I don't know what happened, Peter and Malcolm, but at that first meeting, I was elected chairman. And um, and a guy called Bruce Harrison, who was the company secretary of Albert Del Fabro, was our treasurer, a very competent treasurer. And he said to me, look, Wayne, I've got to see you after the meeting. So um, um, the meeting finished, and I said, okay, Bruce, what do you want? He said, well, I just thought I'd better tell you, we're broke. I said, what do you mean we're broke? He said, well, you know what I mean. When we're broke, we can't pay the players. We can't pay our creditors. Um, So that was a a real eye-opener. And uh, for the first time, our footy club then, uh, we did a three-year plan, a budget and a three-year plan. I took it to the National Bank of Finland. And um, uh, the banking manager eventually said, yeah, look, we'll loan you the money. the three-year period he said but it's conditional upon you staying as chairman of the club and implementing the plans that you presented to us and I said well look I can't do that because I'm elected by the members and they may not re-elect me in two years time (laughs) he said we don't care what the members do Uh, we're loaning you the money conditional upon you staying there for three years well I did get re-elected I stayed there three years and we worked our way out of um, you know, an awful financial position to one of some reasonable strength. West Torrens, do you wonder where West Torrens really, you know, the fact that Woodville came in, if, if that hadn't happened, West Torrens would still, would still be around on its own right now, do you suspect? Well, I, I don't know, Malcolm, um, or Peter, I'm not sure who that was, but I, I actually supported the club um, merging with yep. um, Woodville. Um, and, you know, I think it's been one of the few uh, really successful mergers in probably Australian football. Um, um, I don't know whether they would have been, we would have been around because it was needed a lot of help from the SAFL and other clubs to get jealous. And yep. you, just, you just don't know. But I think in the end, the right decision was made, in my opinion. Oh, and I think, too, it's, it, Spot on in terms of it's, it's an amalgamation where quite often amalgamation is really a takeover. Yep. You know, like yeah. Brisbane effectively took over Fitzroy. We'll yep. have those last few players. Yeah. Sydney took and over the Swans South Melbourne. Yeah. So, yeah. This I, was I a coming together, together of both, yeah. both clubs that needed uh, that little bit of help along the way. Yeah. 
Yeah, and guys like Bill Sanders uh, um, and Rex Sellers from the Eagles, Bill Sanders from Woodville, I mean, they acted in good faith and I think did a terrific job in the end, yeah. And Wayne, so go through your, your working career you know, before the AFL and all that, because it's pretty fascinating as well. You've, you've had some very responsible roles, you know, with Hardys, et cetera, and West End. Give us a rundown there. Well, after leaving uni, I worked for three years with Deloitte. So I didn't enjoy accounting at all. And um, then I joined Hardys, and uh, I was there for 25, 26 years and you know, went through the company secretarial bit and general manager, and then I was managing director, I think, for 10 years. Um, and then we got uh, merged with BRL to become BRL Hardy. Yep. And after a couple of years there, I was headhunted to go to the South Australian Brewing Company, where I was um, managing director for three years and very happily happy there. And then in 1992-ish, uh, I was headhunted to go to the AFL and had, um, uh, well, I had a year or so as the, um, on the commission as a non-executive and then seven to eight years as a CEO, which I loved. Uh, it, was, it, was a, uh, it was a terrific job. So my whole life, Malcolm and Peter, or most of my working life, has been in wine and beer and football, and that's not all that bad. Can't argue with that. No. I reckon that's probably a tick tick <laughs> tick off uh, most people's preferences there, Wayne. Yeah, yeah. Now, in terms yeah. of being headhunted by the AFL and all that, you, you had done some other administration back in South Australia as well, other than the Eagles. Trying to remember yes, in that I had. regard, well, yeah. Yeah, I was on the. I was the director of the SAFL, and then one of the um, commissioners. So when then the directorships moved to a, and the SAFL formed a commission under Max Bash here and Lee Wicker and whatever. And I was one of four or five uh, commissioners. Uh, really, really enjoyed that. And then I was on, um, I really enjoyed also, we, we formed a retention committee when there was some uh, probability of the um, South, of a South Australian team going into the um, AFL, uh, we formed what was called a retention committee. So there were four or five of us, including Jack Odie and, uh, and Rick Allett and Peter yep. Page and myself. And our job was to try and influence um, the players that we wanted to retain to stay in South Australia. And we were very, and we raised money through sponsorship, um, etc. And were very successful in keeping, you know, the great bulk of the players we wanted. But we missed out on one or two, like Darren Jarman. Um, but we um, did retain the McDermott's and the um, Bickleys and the Bubners and um, the Wrens and those sort of people who became, you know, uh, the backbone of the original Crows. Yeah, and, you know, it, the Crows, as we know, form, form messy and all that. But let's keep going with the... So now you you started off at the at the AFL. Go there, Wayne. Well, uh, so it's... Um, a guy called John Winnicky was on the uh, AFL commission and he had to retire because he uh, got a job um, in the Supreme Court and he was concerned about conflicts of interest. So he retired from the commission. So there's a casual vacancy. And uh, Bob Hammond rang me once. I was actually in uh, Europe and rang me and said, look, we'd like to nominate you for the commissioner, to, to the commission as a non-executive to replace John Winnicky. And I thought about that and I thought, well, that would be a bit of fun. So 
I accepted that and I got uh, got put on the commission. Then I had to go up to the the next AGM um, and and be voted in because whilst you could appoint a commissioner when there's a casual vacancy, uh, you then had to submit yourself to the uh, to the other clubs to be elected the following year, which I did uh, and was elected. Um, so I was then, you know, in my basically a second year as a non-executive commissioner. And then um, Ross Oakley uh, announced he was going to retire and um, 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 a, a small committee was elected to um, find his replacement. I wasn't one of those. And um, we all agreed as a commissioner commission that only the chairman, who was uh, John Kennedy, uh, would make any uh, comment on the process of uh, appointing a new CEO. So that went on for some months. And um, we used to get a report at the commission level to, of the progress being made. And one day I was at home and the, uh, the firm doing the, um, the, the charge with the responsibility of, of nominating a, a CEO rang me and said, look, we want to talk to you. And I said, look, you can't talk to me. You have to talk to the chairman. He's the only one authorised to talk. They said, oh, no, no, you can talk. I said, no, I'm sorry, you can talk to the chairman. Then they said, well, we want to talk to you about you doing the job. I thought, oh, I, gee whiz, that's a bit different. So I was 53 years of age and chatted at length to my wife. And we decided, well, look, if we're ever going to do something really different, um, now's the time to do it. So um, I was successful in getting that job and started in 1996 after three years at the brewery and um, absolutely loved our time in Melbourne and, um, and, and enjoyed the job very much. Well, 1995, he goes on as a casual vacancy, and by 1996, you're running the whole joint, mate. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> you may That's have right. had a master well, stroke. It was on... unusual for South, yeah. South Australia, yes. of course, because when you met the press over there, they, they were disbelieving that a, a, a non-Victorian could possibly run the AFL. What yeah. could you possibly know about football, you know? Yes. Uh, yes. So, anyway, we proved them wrong, hopefully. You may have had a bit of a master stroke on who you said you barracked for in uh, on AFL Grand Final <laughs> Day in '96, Swain. Yeah, well, the first interview, um, uh, the point of Grand Final Day, 1996, Six. was it? I yep. think it was. Yep. And um, so the, we're doing the press interview. John Kennedy's on my left, and we've got all these journos there in front with flashing bulbs and microphones and asking questions and. That went on for quite some time. And the last question was, somebody said to me, oh, who do you barrack for? And I, I you know, immediately the, the alarm bells went off with me. And I said, um, I barrack for Fremantle. And um, because at that stage, Fremantle was so motherless last, they were broke, people wanted them out of the competition. And I said, they said, Fremantle? I said, yes, Fremantle. Straight as a, with a straight face. Well, then they left me alone. I mean, they all felt sorry for me, and never ever did I get, you know, accused of anything because I barracked for Fremantle. Thank goodness, because the following year, the Crows won the premiership, and then won it again the year after that. And I, and I, I mean, the mind boggles Peter and Malcolm as to what the press would have had to say yeah. if they knew I was a Crows supporter and the Crows won two premiers. Every decision we made. They'd be looking at saying, yeah. well, how does this impact on the crows, you know? Yep. So they were known for doing a, that anyway. True story. 
Yeah. Pardon? They're known for doing that anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. okay. Yeah. Righto. Um, so go through your responsibilities and what you felt were your achievements uh, and that side of things in the role, Wayne. Well, when, when I took it on, we were we were had real problems with the, our relationship with the media. Um, I mean, for example, Ross had been there ten years, and in my view, did a terrific job. But we were at loggerheads with people like Patrick Smith, who at that stage was a football writer for the Age. Um, so we had a lot of mending to do in terms of our relationship with the um, with the press. But as I got into the job. Um, you know, there are other issues like, um, and the major one probably was the uh, what we're going to do with Waverley because anyone with any sort of reasonableness could understand that Waverley was a long way from the yeah. city, it was in a rain belt, it had never been completed, there's no public transport, uh, and yet we're still trying to prop it up. But in the end, we, the commission, decided we'd have to sell it and do something else, uh, and that was my job. Um, and at the same time, to his great credit, and Jeff Kennett, the Premier of Victoria, um, decided to um, um, develop what's called the Docklands, which are basically walls and marshes and um, uh, not a very um, uh, attractive place. And that he wanted to build a, um, a stadium there for soccer and rugby. And we were able to convince him that um, to build a stadium in Melbourne, the city of Melbourne, and not cater for Australian football was just crazy. So after a little while, uh, like months, uh, we convinced the government that that it had to be based on Australian football. And um, the government gave us the land. Uh, We put down $30 million, which we got from the sale of our broadcasting rights um, with Channel 7 and in return for playing I think it was 35 if not 37 games a year there for 25 years that stadium became the um, the uh, under the ownership of the AFL with no restrictions at all so it was a freehold title uh, for 25 years incredible deal really playing, mm. yeah simply for playing 35 to 37 games a year. Well, as you know, um, partway through that 25 years, um, the AFL decided that they wanted to buy it, which they did, and uh, redeveloped and that stadium's now probably worth in the order of a billion dollars. Yeah. And, um, and it's now arguably um, the best football stadium in the country to watch football in. We've got over all the issues. Remember the issues of oh, the hard surface yeah. and the yeah. players complaining yeah. and the, yeah. and all of that. All that's gone, and um, it's just a terrific stadium now under the full ownership of the AFL. And as well, of course, the AFL has got its offices there on its own freehold land. So it's been a, a, a tremendous boon for the game. Well, yeah, I, I personally can't believe the criticism it gets. Um, you know, no, not now, but you know, like, in, in Hardwick still carries on like a pork chop about it. And you know, Damien Hardwick, and you know, I just, I still don't get. I think it's a great ground, personally. So, yeah. yeah, well, Damien Hardwick carries on because he wants to play all his games at the MCG. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the poor old, poor old Richmond, they've only got about seventeen or eighteen games at the yeah. MCG, so he doesn't want to play it at um, 
at the Marvel Stadium because his team hasn't got the same advantage as Scott when it plays at um, Melbourne. And that's one of the issues the AFL, of course, has to work through. So you get a club like Richmond, and if there's 23 games a year, and if they play five or six games in the state, they're left with 17 or 18 yeah. games. Well, Hardwick wants all those players at the MCG. The AFL says, well, look, when you play Fremantle or, yeah, um, exactly. or Gold Coast, you can play them at the Marble Stadium. But, um, some clubs are still not happy with that, but that's the way it's got to be. Well, such a long way to travel for you know Richmond. It's at least five <laughs> or six k's. You know, so come on, yeah, speaking of traffic, mate, it's yeah, always yeah. always tough, yeah. uh, mate. Uh, you obviously, um, oversaw a couple of mergers and relocations. Did, did you find that your time with Woodville West Torrens helped you with a bit of insight with that? Um, no, well, I, I wasn't involved administratively when that Woodville West Torrens thing happened. Uh, it's like all. It's like, I mean, it's, if you've had a bit of experience in business, um, you understand that, you know, you've got to, you've got to take people with you. you. You've got to leave things on the table for the other party. Um, the, um, the Brisbane thing happened my first year there, but then Port came in, which, um, um, Port Power came in, uh, to the AFL, but that wasn't a, Emerged, but that was a difficult time for the AFL and for the Port Adelaide Football Club. Um, um, but in, no, in what, in what in what way for Port Adelaide? I mean, obviously, we know here in South Australia the the struggles that they had with um, the Crows being accepted before they were. But yeah. from an AFL point of view, uh, a little bit difficult there as well. Well, I, I think from the sense that Port was such a strong club in Adelaide that, uh, you know, with respect, they thought they knew it all. Um, And coming into the AFL, um, the AFL wasn't going, and other clubs, of course, weren't going to respond to, necessarily respond to the way Port wanted to do things. So they they found it very hard for a a couple of years. I mean, in the end, got well on track, but there's always a little bit of angst between the the, the uh, AFL and um, and Port, and there was a little bit between the AFL and the SAFL too, because the SAFL was, you know, regard themselves as the second strongest competition. It took them a long time, as you well know, for uh, the SAFL to accept that the AFL was here to stay and was going to manage football around the whole of the country. Yeah. Um, so. Um, uh, those things take time, but with goodwill on all part, you, you, you eventually find a way through. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. And look, personally, you know, ten, it's meant to be an AFL competition where I still see it personally as an extended VFL, you know, the relocation, yeah. it would have been great. I, I think both North Melbourne and either St Kilda, Western Bulldogs, someone else, it should be spread around. You know, I think one of those teams should have relocated to Tasmania as well. North Melbourne should have gone to the Gold Coast, in my opinion, mm. um, yeah, uh, and that would give more of an Australian feel than an extended v- VFL competition, yeah. personally. Yeah, well, Malcolm, I, I agree totally that the, there should have been a team from uh, Melbourne relocated to the uh, Gold Coast, and that should have been North Melbourne, but um, Brayshaw, Brayshaw took over from somebody who was the president. He was going to solve all the problems of North yeah. Melbourne, and 
that was very anti them going to the Gold Coast, I think. And I, um, I think the AFL offered North Melbourne a hundred million dollars to relocate. Now I don't know that for sure, but that's that's what um, touted, uh, and they still said no. Um, it's an extraordinary decision, a, really. Yeah, a bizarre. Yeah, and of course it's too late now yeah. because with the club having the with the AFL having the funds, it can prop these these clubs up. And of course there should be a team in uh, Tasmania. Yes. And, and in my view, um, the, you know, a team should be relocated. I don't think that there'll be a relocated team. I think with a little bit of luck, they'll play, you know, eight, nine, ten games down there, eleven games down there, maybe twelve, and a few in Melbourne and a few around the rest of the country. Yeah, I just think it should have been an amalgam, another team though, in terms of going down to Tasmania. I know yeah. Tasmania are against that, but let's remember Sydney or South Melbourne. Everyone forgets that nowadays. That's Sydney. And I think the same thing yeah, would have happened. Right. The same thing would yeah. have happened in Tasmania. And I just think it's still crazy that there's ten teams in Victoria. You know, it's... Yeah. Well, well, mate, we all do, um, but it's uh, it's not easily resolved. Um, but I mean, the reality is, if you tried um, Malcolm to relocate, say, um, the Western Bulldogs down to um, Hobart. Um, and they objected to it. You'd find, you know, the, the Carlton supporters would march in the street, and the Collingwood yeah, supporters would yeah. march in the street. Yeah. Uh, you, you wouldn't uh, be very, very hard to uh, to um, to bring about. But but I do think there's going to be more AFL footy played in Tasmania and um, probably Hobart. Uh, but they do have to get an undercover stadium. I mean, how can you play mm. AFL footy down there in the middle of winter? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, so there's a lot of, uh, I'm sure it's a high priority for Gill and McLaughlin, but there's a lot, a lot of water to pass under that bridge. I would have thought. With with the Melbourne Hawthorne merger, how far advanced were they down the track? I mean, well, that that was the year before I was on the uh, commission then, but not not the chief executive. So, yep. Um, but you would have heard um, a few things going on that. that... Oh yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. The uh, yeah, you know, the Melbourne supporters probably felt that they've got to do something, and and the Hawthorne people thought, well, we don't want to merge. So, yeah. you, you know, the Don Scott thing's famous now for the burning yeah. of the Guernsey yeah. uh, and all of that. Um, but I don't think it ever got rid. When they had the vote, it didn't. It wasn't close. So, and maybe in retrospect, um, uh, that proved to be right because Hawthorne went from strength to strength, and Melbourne's now very. Uh, well-managed and competitive footy club. So that's probably, you know, uh, worked out all right. Yeah, but, true. Um, that doesn't mean there shouldn't be somebody down in Hobart. Yeah. Or uh, Northern Territory. Can you see a team being up there at some stage as well? No, I, I can't. I, ca- I can't see that. Um, um, I mean, I just can't see how it fits in weather-wise, yes. um, how you get people to live up there and, train for 10 months a year in Darwin. Um, I think that's a very different um, situation. I mean, the Indigenous guys have done wonderful things for all of the footy clubs, but I can't see a a team up there, um, not in my lifetime anyway. Could a South Australian or WA third side come about at some stage? Well, the the problem is we've we've now got 18 teams and... um, 
you know, if you start adding one in Tasmania, that makes nine if you don't relocate somebody. Yep. And then you're starting to think about, well, we've got a 19, 18, 19, 20 team competition. Maybe we should have two divisions. And in one division, you know, obviously you've got Port and, and West Coast and Sydney and Brisbane and the other one you've obviously got the Crows and Fremantle and the GWS and, um, and, and the Gold Coast, you know, so you've got one from each team in the competition. And when you start to think about, well, maybe they play each other twice mm. uh, in that division and then once they play a team in the other division, and at the end of the world, end of the year, the, the division leaders, top three or four from each um, division, they play off for the finals. That that could be um, that could be well be worthwhile considering and thinking about over a period of time. Yeah, it'd and be interesting. There'd think... be plenty of argy bargy on which teams are going to which division, and yeah, oh, but yeah. that could rotate yeah. around yeah. over a course of uh, eight or nine years. Maybe. Yeah, you could. I mean, if you've got say. Uh, 10 team in each division, well, maybe after two years, the bottom three swap over to the other three, other divisions. Who knows? But uh, I, I think I think having a 20, for example, a 20-team uh, competition gets gets messy because if you have 22, 23, 24 games, you're playing everyone once and a couple of teams twice. So um, uh, I, I'm sure, you know, the strategic thinkers, Within the AFL would would have on their plates, um, you know, have we or do we have a um, two divisions sometime in the future? And the AFL reserves comp look, it nearly happened years ago. Um, you know, the teams were told to prepare for it and everything, and then it fell away. And it's it's a little bit now. COVID's obviously happened and that sort of thing. So that's one as well. Look, it's, it's ironic the debate on whether you know the Crows and Port should be in the SNFL or not. And just trying to explain to people that it's not just the the fifty thousand dollars what the crows put in. You've then got the stadium management deal on how much money goes back to the clubs, and that's always argy bargy. The TV side of things and all that. It's not just a, it is so ridiculously complicated on whether the crows and port can be in the SNFL or not that people just have no idea how complicated it is, Wayne. And trying to explain it to a few people today, it's yeah. I, I, it, it's well. I, I agree with I agree with you. It is complicated, oh. um, and similarly, like having a national reserves competition is, is just nonsense, Malcolm. Because it costs just as much to put reserve players on aeroplanes yeah. and put them in hotels and uh, and have the appropriate staff as it does to have an AFL uh, team. So the cost of having a national uh, reserves competition is ludicrous. Yeah, I'm, I'm not um, quite so. I'm not quite. I, I certainly understand in that way and the cost in, in, in that, but on how much money the game generates, like it's a multi, they're multi million dollar corporation, you know, franchises, they're not footy clubs and, and all that in the old sense. So, yeah, I'm not, I still think that'll end up happening, but yeah, we'll wait and see. So a national competition for the reserve? Yeah, I think so. so uh, that, I think you're more likely to find Malcolm. The Cairns and uh, Townsville, yeah, and, possibly, yeah, um, true. They'll, they'll, and Brisbane and Darwin and you know North New South Wales, they'll get together, uh, and maybe we in Adelaide will get together. You know, who knows? Tasmania or yeah. Northern Territory or somebody? True. I don't know. Yeah, true. yeah. 
So, Wayne, yeah, but, but a lot of a lot of people at the AFL um, would be thinking about these issues. Yeah. So, Wayne, in terms of are there any other any things on in retrospect you would have done differently in in your role as CEO? Anything um, anything you'd like to change apart from North Melbourne obviously going um, going. <laughs> um no, I'm not not a great one for looking back. I mean, if, you always make mistakes, but uh, I don't think we made any strategic no. mistakes. Um, um, it's interesting. One of the things that I was never able to do was to get the preliminary final played in the home state, the state that's won the right to host yeah. it, because they, we've got this long-term agreement with the MCG. Um, but... Um, uh, and Andrew Dimitri was able to do that, but he did, but he did it by just giving the MCG another Collingwood Essendon game to replace the you know we used to argue look what's the point of having a preliminary final the MCG if the Crows are playing um, Brisbane you know you'll, yeah. you, you, um, so uh, we had to uh, find a way of re- um, giving the um, MCG the same. Uh, capacity to um, generate the income to, to do that. Well, I was never able to do that. It's happened now, which is good. But the uh, I, I am disappointed that we the uh, grand final is committed to. I think yeah. it's 2057 oh, yeah. now, and, and that's Ridiculous. done, of course. Oh. Well, uh, yeah, it's done to underwrite the uh, infrastructure costs of uh, developing yeah. the MCG. Yeah. Um, so we used to it used to be out to thirty five, which I thought was a long time, but fifty seven the mind boggles, and I'm sure something will change in the next number of years. Now, so I don't know what it will be, but nothing nothing lasts for thirty five years, so um, something will happen. I will say personally, I always found Wayne to be balanced. Balanced. Um, he said quickly, you know, there was a lunch where Wayne was a guest speaker at uni one day, and. I think he pretty realised within a couple of minutes that I was the footy nuffy in the room and so we developed a relationship from then. I do remember one day as an, you know, being on the committee with uni and we did have a problem with the SNFL and it actually involved Glenn, the late Glenn Rosser. And I said, mm. geez, you know, was actually with you at a dinner at West Adelaide Footy Club, you know, which the late Ox Ravisi had organised. And mm. I, I said, Wayne, this blah, 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 and you said, why don't you phrase it this way, Malcolm? And you immediately took out the confrontation. And I always remember that. And I was sitting with Michael Dads, and the two of us looked at each other and went, "Yeah, that's far better straight away." And yeah, mm. I always found you to be the balance, really balanced in that regard. Personally, yeah, you can say I'm biased in that way. I think you're the gun official at CEO land and all that. So, I, I yes. think that it showed, uh, you know, obviously supporting the Western Bulldogs and North Melbourne through their toughest times. Uh, Mm. pretty uh, fair and balanced approach that uh, really helped them survive, really, at the end of the day. Yes, it did, yeah. Oh, well, that's very nice. Thank you for those comments, fellas. Yeah, and, of course, Wayne, you, I think probably an interview with you, I'd, I'd, I'd find it negligent if you uh, didn't get the chance to give Liz a proper mention and your kids. Go for it, mate. Oh, well, um, well, my wife passed away three and a half years yep. ago and, um, uh, and none, of it, none of what... If I've been able to achieve anything in business or sport or whatever, none of it would have been possible without the support of Liz. Um, and I guess by extension, um, three girls. So I'm very, very lucky with that. 
um, most of us now, male or female, um, you take a team approach to things, don't you? Maybe we didn't do it as well in my early days as we should have, Malcolm. <laughs> but, but you learn. Yep. And um, and I'm so appreciative of uh, you know, the support I've had from Liz and my girl. So um, that's good. Thank you. What are you up to these days, mate? Uh, in your spare time, are you... Um Administrating well, uh, with any anything up oh, up at Willaluga. This, this farm gets a fair hammering. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, I've got a farm at Willaluga, but uh, and I've had that for twenty four or five years. So we're just in the process of working out what we're going to do with that. But um, um, I still you know still on a couple of advisory board uh, advisory board or two. It's got good mates. All the things that seventy eight year old blokes dream about doing, Peter. So. Yep. Um, um, yeah, life's pretty good, thank you. Um, albeit we're one short in the family, but never mind. Well, not never mind. Yeah. I can't do much about that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Look, greatly appreciated your time, Wayne. Uh, always value right your right friendship Malcolm. and your advice. Greatly appreciated. Thanks, Wayne. Right, on, Malcolm. Thank you. Thanks for your interest, and thank you, Peter, too. No, thank you for your insights, mate. That's for absolutely fantastic. Okay. All the best, boys. Bye. Thanks, okay. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Happy Days. And may we move on to Happy Days this week. Happy birthday to Ryan Burton from Port Adelaide Footy Club. Yeah, son of Craig. Yeah, past Rooster and Blow, the current general manager at North Adelaide. Oh, look, I'll say that I've always said that Stephen Keenan's the best player I've played against. That Frio, the Frio gun. Pavlich. Oh, Pavlich. Matty yep, pa- Matty Pavlich. Sorry about that. Matty Pavlich, best player I've umpired. And I'll say Ryan Burton's the best junior I've just been there watching before he broke his leg. Was horrific. That stopped him from going higher in the draft. There may be a radio which didn't like the Crows not picking him. Still, yep. Ironically, that night, I'd wrote uh, I'd wrote Nathan Bassett in to play for Pembroke. So Bass was fielding on the boundary line while I was giving him who the draft choices were, and we're discussing it. So, yeah. And look, he's been class player at Port. Ironically, playing more but more down back. Yep. But his body's firmed up. You know, he had he played all games last year. He did, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, uh, debuted in 2016 for Hawthorne, obviously coming back to Port Adelaide uh, in 2019. But yeah, he's really built himself into an established uh, Port Adelaide player, and like I said, down back and played all 22 games yeah. last year. Fantastic effort. I'd still love him to have a cameo down forward as well. I still. He's exceptional talent. It may happen this year. Yeah. Tonight, obviously, Finlayson is having a little bit of surgery, uh, also some personal issues yeah. as well. So. You know, there might be an opportunity there this year. Oh, look, and thoughts and best wishes for Jeremy. Absolutely. Um, yeah, terrible. All the best. Mate, we'll stick with the happy birthdays. Uh, happy birthday to my co-host over here this week. Yes, yes, 60 this week. <laughs> ah, I wasn't going to ask the age, yes, but yes. you let us in a little secret. But, yes, happy birthday, mate. Yes, body doesn't feel a day over 85, mate. <laughs> You've done well. Uh, obviously, an accomplished author with your, um, uh, your book, uh, The Rule Book. Yeah, it's quite funny that I sort of regret the title in some ways because people automatically think it's a book about the rules. Yep. Where rule book's my nickname, Nickname. so I just went with that. 
and it's 40 articles of individual interviews, not only about a player's career, but life in general. Yep. So anyone interested at all, comment on our Facebook page. Don't worry, I'll certainly contact you. Sounds like a plan, mate. So happy birthday for this Thanks, week, mate. mate. Mate, we move on to tennis. 1960, uh, Rod Laver wins his first Australian Open against Neil Fraser in five sets. Yeah, five-set marathon, 8-6, eight, 8-6 six, eight, six in the last couple. Two oh, sets to love down. Down, yeah, comes through. Oh, all-time great. And Neil Fraser probably gets forgotten a bit in that, you know, because there was Emerson as well yep. and yep. Newcomb and et cetera, Anderson. So there was so many great players then and, Neil Fra- and Tony Roach. Neil Fraser gets a bit forgotten about. It, so. it really was the golden age of Australian yes. tennis, really, at yeah. the end of the day. and. Yeah, Rod Laver goes on to uh, to be an all time star, and yeah. like I said, uh, Fraser does get forgotten a little bit, but he's yeah. certainly uh, well and truly in the mix uh, for those great Australian yeah. players. Mate, this week in 1968, we have a look at the NFL because it's very topical at the yeah. moment with the Super Bowl coming up, and obviously the Vince Lombardi Trophy, which everybody is striving to win. Um, steps down as head coach of Green Bay, but takes on a role as uh, general manager. Oh, look, one of the all time greats. We had- Incredible career, just remarkable. His longevity. Yep. Um, probably, you know, they're, they're the sport which doesn't write off people, you know, that age of 35 yes. or 30 or 30. It's become 35 now. We've, and it's almost like, you know, geez, wow, we're NFL, it's quite often entering yeah. sort of circumstance. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the coaches that do coach, obviously, within the NFL do – rotate around a little bit. They do get second opportunities. I yeah. feel we haven't really done that too well, I believe, in the last 15 or 20 years, but it could be changing. Well, you've, got to, you've got to be someone like Clarkson who's won four flags to get a second go. go to write your own ticket. Yep. Where you know, someone like Harwick very, very nearly got cut by Richmond and he's gone on to win three flags and probably can stay as long as he likes. Yep. Michael Voss obviously getting a yeah, second go. Uh, will be interesting to see how that how that goes. Continues uh, to evolve. Like they should have made the finals last year. Yeah, they're, they're probably the team which we all expect to step up and yep. come through. We'll cover that one a bit later yes, too, mate. Yes. Um, and we finish off with a bit of cricket, mate. South Africa's Fani de Villiers bravely survives 197 minutes at the crease for 30 runs on the last day of the Adelaide Test. It it did get a bit. I do remember being there, and it did get a bit nerve wracking where he kept fighting. Look, I thought you might like that one. Yes, yes. A lot of respect for Fanny de Villiers. Also, he's a bit of a character. Um, took a took a toy car out, put it out, put it out, let him go at the top of his run one day to, and that. So he's known to love practical jokes. So, yeah. Uh, well-respected around the traps as well, Fanny. That's an impressive one. I didn't yeah, uh, didn't know that little tidbit, but yeah, uh, that's different unbelievable. In, different individual. Australia ends up bowling uh, South Africa out for 129 and went on to win by 191 runs, but they drew the series. Seriously. So, uh, you know, again, pretty good and pretty handy guys within that South African attack, that's for sure. All right, mate, we'll uh, scoot into the big finish. Yep. Extra time. Big finish. All right, mate, we'll uh, keep on with the cricket theme. We've got a couple of quick rapid-fire questions here, mate, but is sandpaper gate worse than the underarm ball? Sandpaper gate for stupidity. It achieved nothing, but it was just so bizarre and so stupid. Yep. Um, And whether the underarm was still a legal delivery back then. Yep. So... 
Greg Chappell didn't break a law. No, it wasn't in the sportsmanship no. of yeah, of no. the game. But you're right, he didn't break yeah. a law. Whereas uh, carrying a sandpaper out, it was just so ball. weird. Oh, and and it was South Africa knew it. The, the cameras were waiting oh. for it. Uh, it was the biggest stitch up of all time. And uh, you're right, stupidity uh, at its finest. And yeah, uh, can't can't disagree with you. I think. Um, yeah, Sam Papergate gets the vote on that one there. Oh, I don't think that David Warner and Cam Bancroft were at the front of the line when trams and trains were handed out. There you go. Oh. Uh, uh, does Australia win in India this uh, time round? I still think we're underdogs. Yep. Um, Pant being out is pretty big for India, though. So uh, Balances it out a bit. Out a little bit. Look, I've always really rated this skill, and now he's coming through at the moment. Yep. Uh, just a casual 126 not out and a... In a twenty twenty game last night. Yep, he's and he made two hundreds in the in the one day series. Admittedly, that's not Test cricket, but I think he he's very very good technically. Yep, and look, and, and at home, and at home, and yep. Cole, Cole he's, he's due. He is so yeah. Look, I think and we're probably he's the kind of guy that will get himself up for this type of yeah. challenge. That's for sure. Yeah, look, and also you know that we're, we're in doubt with Green's Green and Stark's injuries. So that's, you know, Stark's out of the first test um, and he's probably not someone who comes, you know, he needs, he's, he's got a fine line, Stark, over the years where he's really right. Yep. Probably falls away, generally has towards the end of a series, but whether he'll come in without having played for a while is a worry. Yep. So. All right. Yeah, look, Stephen Silvani, named as St Kilda list manager, replacing James Gallagher, who's family reasons has decided to come back here to Adelaide. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, AFL, uh, that, that was a little bit of a surprise uh, to me that Silvani would uh, chuck his hat back in the ring, but he is quite an intelligent man when it comes to building a list, that's for sure. Yeah, and he's got a connection with Ross Lyon. Look, it didn't end with glowingly at Carlton, Carlton with him. Yep. So, yeah, look, and he's probably taking over one where a few of their recruits, like Brad Hill, haven't quite performed up to expectations. Yep. A little bit of a worry with King injured at the moment, who's their key forwards. You know, so we've got to wait and see. Yeah, uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on that one there. But, yeah, a bit of a surprise for me. Uh, Darcy Moore named Collingwood captain. Yeah, father-son. There's not too many of those over the years. Yep. Um, and Collingwood being such Collingwood, a traditional yeah, club. Victorian club. You know, obviously, the H name here with Peter and Michael comes to mind readily. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... Interesting down back, and he, he sometimes plays on the last line. But look, let's also be honest: footy captain. It's not like you're making the decision of changing the bowlers and all that. It's yep. it's a lot of stuff is is more your corporate stuff off the ground and a bit more of a it, spiritual leader. Yeah, That's yeah, where Pen, sort of Pendlebury was so yeah. good. He one he could he's a gun player, but uh, yeah. two you know he's such a great uh, ambassador off the ground, especially for the Collingwood footy. Club. Yeah, there's a lot of people against. You know, you say, oh, it's got to be one person club captain. I'm, I'm more the, I've got no problems with two because quite often it's going to coterie functions and you mm. can share it around. I, I think people don't realise how much of the stuff is more off the ground. Yep. So. And Collingwood have had, had a pretty good run over the last uh, 10, 15 years of captains. Maxwell was, you know, not the best player going around, but he, he was that spiritual leader and then Pendlebury took over and, yeah. and, and now Moore gets his chance. So it's going to be interesting, that's for yep. sure. Yep. Who finishes higher, Collingwood or Carlton? I'm going to go Carlton. I'm going to go Carlton as well. I just think Collingwood won so many close games last year. The stats generally say that you don't do that 
two years, you know, two years in a row. And last year was ridiculous. So, yep. yep. Uh, I tend to agree with you there, and I'm a bit of a Carlton supporter as well, so I've got a bit of a vested interest in that particular question. And yeah, I see them finishing a little bit higher. They're, they're on that trajectory as well. And Collingwood were a bit of a flash in the pan last year. It'd be interesting to see if they can back it up. Uh, mate, we'll stay with the AFL. Um, who spends more time in the midfield this year for the Crows, Rankin or Rochelle? I think they'll both almost interchange. They'll both be pinch hitters. I'll go for the guy to come in and form, play a lot in the midfield and be the Crows', Crows next superstar, Saligo. I uh, can't disagree with you more. I think Rankin will spend a little bit more time than Rochelle in there, but you're right, they will pinch hit through that forward line and that forward line's starting to look a little excite, exciting, but they've got to get the ball out of the middle and you've got a guy who's a forward line player um, uh, spending time in the midfield. You're sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul, aren't you? Oh, look, and I, I, I'm not convinced the Crows rack-wise. I still think there are at least one, probably two midfielders Sure, and, and a short of a key defender. So I saw that there's some glaring holes in their list. Uh, where do you see Horn Francis playing? I hope he's on ball yep. and plays where he should have been playing at North Melbourne. Um, look, I'm a big Horn Francis fan. Yep. I really hope he. Uh, I hope he has a huge year personally. And I admit, there's a lot of people you know, angry with his departure, but I'm very much that I think both. Horn France and North Melbourne to blame there. And I, I keep finding it a bit amusing how much Horn France's cops where I think the club made a few glaring errors as well. Yep. Uh, not on the run sheet, but we will talk about it. Uh, Taron Thomas from North Melbourne, we're talking about North Melbourne yeah. there. Um, obviously, we can't go into any great detail on that, but uh, sad to see another player, uh, unfortunately, being on the wrong side of what he should be doing and shouldn't be doing. Yeah, look, we can you know, say it's sad. Look, let's wait and see what happens, but... Let's not defend him either on it. No. I, look, let's wait and see, but yep. he may have played his last game. We'll have to wait and see. Potentially, you could be right. Players weeks at number one, mate. Yeah, tennis. I thought this was quite interesting, yeah. especially when we talk about the greatest of all time, yes. who's the, the the top four, who's the top six, et cetera, et cetera. And I think this came across my, my desk this week, and it makes you think about who is actually the best player. Yeah, I think it's a relevant point. Exactly, because yeah, you can go on majors, and yes, the majors are what they all play yep. for. So you go, well, you know, Djokovic has 22, Nadal has 22, Federer has 20, and you go, you know what, those guys deserve that crown for sure. But you've got to have a look back at some of the players that have spent the most amount of time at number one, especially in the men's game. And Novak Djokovic is at 374 weeks. It's Roger, a lot of weeks. It is a lot of weeks. Roger Federer is at 310. Yep. So, you know, Djokovic at this stage has spent a, a year's worth longer yep. uh, at the top. Uh, Sampras is at three at 286. Yep. Jimmy Connors at 268. Ivan Lendl at 270. And Nadal at 209. Very interesting that Nadal's there at number yeah, six. Yeah. When you ra- when you rate Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal as the, the, yeah. the three that you would go no, to, it's, it's certainly a good it's a good conversation and a good debating point, and it does give Djokovic another big tick. Absolutely, uh, a name that's not on that list is probably another great player, Andre Agassi. Um, I haven't got his stats here in front yeah. of me as far as number. But consistent. These guys are so consistent and they're obviously at the top of the game for so long. Good Um, conversation point, Pete. Absolutely. And and you look at Sampras sitting at number three there in Connors. 
you know, back in the day where, uh, you know, Connors had uh, McEnroe breathing down his neck basically all the way uh, to still be at number one. And, and Lendl was in that mix as well and he had 270 weeks as well. Absolutely crazy, but you're right. Uh, conversational point for sure. Yep. Uh, does it make it harder or easier to, to talk about the conversation for all time? I just think it gives gives more ticks. Is a more validity that it's harder to argue against Djokovic? Yeah, and and obviously uh, Federer being in the second place there um, as well. Our own we pa- might cover the female side of it next week. Yes, well, one. I can tell you very very quickly that Steffi Graf is uh, well and truly at number one for all time, right? Men and women. Yep. Um, but if Djokovic stays where he is for another three weeks or four weeks, he will overtake Steffi Graf. Where's Serena? Serena, I will check on that one, but okay. she would be two, I reckon, yeah. just off the top of my head. And, um, yeah, uh, I was going to say our very own Pat Rafter, one of the shortest times at world number one, less than a week. Still got there. Bit unlucky, but yeah. he did. You're right. Uh, he's a fantastic player. All right, mate, that concludes another great episode tonight. And, as always, we promise to do better. We will keep at it. Thanks, Pat. In this crazy world we live in, we all need the distraction. Enjoying the show? Like, rate, and subscribe. Hook up and connect with us on social media at Sportscast SA. We'll see you next time on Game On.